This week, we're going to be ducking out of uh, the book of Luke, and uh, we're going to be picking up his uh, second book for one week, uh, the book of Acts. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you might return to Acts chapter 2. We'll be coming to that shortly. The book of Acts is Luke's second book and picks up the story of the early church, uh, of the life of God's church, and is chronicling its growth, its mission to the Jews and then the Gentile peoples. It sees the ups and the downs of church life and challenges faced by those early Christians. And it gives us clear examples and pointers for the life of a disciple and our life together as a community. But in chapter 2, we come to one of the most defining and exciting sections of the Bible. The day of Pentecost, which we celebrate today. So let's read about it in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 6 and then from verses 36 to 41. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And then from verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray now that your spirit would speak to us as we explore your word, as we see what you are saying to us, both as individuals and as a church. Bless us, we pray. Amen. So a lot has happened in a short space of time. Fifty days ago, the disciples were sharing a meal together. They were enjoying each other's company with Jesus, and then their lives are turned upside down. Jesus is arrested He's crucified and he's raised from the dead and ascends to heaven. This has not been a normal few weeks. This has not been a normal festival season. Pentecost is the festival of the first fruit. 
known as the Feast of Harvests and the Feast of Weeks. Uh, It's known as the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament because it takes place seven weeks or 50 days after the festival of Passover. And in the New Testament, it was referred to as Pentecost. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 9 to 10, Moses records the instruction to count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing corn. Then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings that the Lord your God has given you. The second day of the Passover uh, signalled the start of the harvest. And 50 days later, or seven weeks, comes the Pentecost. Pentecost is the harvest festival, and the custom is to bring a portion of the first fruits to the temple as a thanksgiving for all that God has blessed. The festival of weeks celebrates the blessing of life-sustaining food, nourishment and resource. And now, hundreds of years later, the disciples are gathered together, probably at the temple, and they receive the life-sustaining power that the Holy Spirit brings. John Stott writes, Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. Pentecost is the day God nourishes his church, giving it the strength it needs to carry out its commission. The Holy Spirit is the helper that Jesus promises in Luke 24, verse 49, when he says to the disciples that I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. And Jesus is referring back to an old prophecy made by the prophet Joel, which can be found in Joel 2, 28-29. And afterwards I will pour my Spirit on all my people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So the disciples are waiting. In Acts 1, 4, Jesus has given them instruction not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the gift which his father has promised. In verse 1, we're told that they were gathered together. We know that the gift was the Holy Spirit and the disciples would have been aware of the prophecy in Joel. But I don't think they had any idea about what was ahead of them. Here in chapter 2, we find two images of the coming spirit, wind and fire. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which is also translated as breath. And the imagery of wind here is of an audible symbol of the spirit's presence. John 3 verse 8 tells us that the wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. 
so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each of them. Fire is a symbol of divine presence. In the book of Exodus, we read of God leading his people through the wilderness as a pillar of fire. They just had to look up and they knew God's presence with them. Now here we see the Holy Spirit physically come down as fire and rest on each of the apostles. God's presence is with his apostles. And up until this point, God's spirit had been contained in the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the temple. But when Jesus was crucified, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world was torn in two. And here we see God's spirit making a new temple in the very lives of those who profess Jesus is Lord. I wonder if anyone's had a barbecue recently. You can smell barbecues, can't you, on Sunday afternoons going off around Breton. There are different ways to barbecue, aren't there? Has anyone got an electric one? Any electric barbecues? I feel like that's cheating a bit. What about a gas one? Any gas barbecues? Yeah, a few. Perhaps you were, you, you were, you know, old school, traditional, and you go down the route of using charcoal. Uh, even when you do that, there are options for, the, for you, aren't there? Whether you go for just a bag of coals or whether you, you go for those self-lighting bags that actually never light, do they? Let's be honest. Or maybe briquettes, that's your way. We had a barbecue last week after church and we almost didn't at one point. <laughs> I really thought I wasn't going to get it lit. I was dubious we were going to eat. I just couldn't get the coals to catch. I did all the usual things. Uh, I was even using fire lighters. I didn't go down the line of white spirit like I did when I was a teenager. Don't do that. It's not good. Um, But it just wouldn't catch. And we were getting hungry. See, our barbecue is actually a fire pit that you uh, put this frame on top and you turn it into a barbecue. And what I did was I decided to change tack and approach lighting the barbecue more like I was lighting the fire pit instead. So I scraped all the charcoal to the side and I made a pyre out of wood kindling and I packed it with even smaller kindling and lit one match. The small kindling in the the middle lit straight away and the wood started to smoulder. And then comes the fun bit. You get down on your hands and knees and you take a deep breath and you blow into the base of the flames. I don't know if you remember your chemistry lessons, but you need three things in order to light the fire. You need some fuel, you need some heat, and you need some oxygen. Last week, I had my fuel, I had the wood, I had my heat, I had the match. I just needed to get some more oxygen in there as soon as I blew the wood caught and started to burn and after a couple of minutes I started scraping the coals back which caught right away and heated up and in turn cooked our food getting fire started can take time but it always starts in the same way with some fuel 
some heat and some oxygen. Pentecost is the day the apostles get the equipment they need to build the fire that Jesus had started in his ministry. The apostles are the kindling, the fuel, their very lives ready to serve a purpose, that of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing lives transformed and his kingdom established on earth. To this human kindling, God then puts the heat of his spirit. What look like tongues of fire fall and with the symbolism of the wind engulfing the whole house or temple, this feast of harvest starts. The disciples start speaking in different languages, the languages of the people who are currently stood around them. And in verse 5, we're told that, we're told that many God-fearing Jews who were staying in Jerusalem at this time, undoubtedly there for the festival, heard the gospel in their own language. Many would have understood the common languages used across the world at this time. Greek, for example, was commonly spoken, and this is one of the reasons for the spread of the gospel across the Roman world. But this isn't what they hear when the disciples start speaking. What they hear is their own local language. And this is a key bit of the gospel message. God's kingdom is inclusive. People hear the message of God in a language they understand, in words that are familiar, in ways that are comfortable to them. But it was unusual Because verse 6 and 7 says, When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? God demonstrates that his message is for everyone and that it is personal. The disciples speak in languages that people understand. The gospel message is for people of all languages, not just for the Jews. It is a healing of the curse of Babel when God confused the languages of the world and through God's spirit he brings about a unity and as such the start of fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Right back at the start in Genesis 12 verse 3 in you and in your family all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this is the ultimate story of the Bible that God keeps his word and in the Holy Spirit and through Jesus, the Father fulfills his promise to Abraham. So what is the response to this amazing act at Pentecost? In verse 37, the people ask, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replies with the words, repent. And be baptised, every one of you. This is the challenge to us today. What do you do when you've heard in your own language, in a way that is relevant to you, the goodness of what God has done for you? Let's look at these two responses briefly. Firstly, Peter tells us, We need to repent. Now that's a hard one, isn't it? Repentance is simply living life in the opposite way to that which you've been doing. If you're a thief, 
stop being a thief. If you're a liar, stop being a liar. It is doing the opposite to what you are doing wrong. But it also comes with the acceptance that you are not living life in a way that God would want you to. It comes with acknowledging the guilt within and asking for forgiveness. I remember a story of a guy who came to the church I was growing up in and he became a Christian. And when he became a Christian, he was convicted of his past under God and he uh, had been a thief. And through praying with folk, he went to the police and turned himself in and he went to prison for the crimes that he committed. Repentance is hard because it comes with acknowledging the guilt within and then asking for forgiveness. Secondly, Peter tells us that we need to be baptised. This isn't a suggestion or something nice to do, but a command. Repent and be baptised. In baptism, we stand up in front of the whole world and we say, Jesus is Lord. And in the second service today, John will be doing that. He'll be saying that Jesus is Lord and declaring that in front of everyone here. He'll be symbolising the washing away of his sins and his intention to live that repentant life. The baptism pool is opened in front of you this morning. My challenge is, have you done that? Have you followed Jesus' command and be baptised? I urge you to do it. I urge you to have a conversation with myself or with David today. Believe and be baptised. Repent and be baptised. Let's just go back to those words from John Stott. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. Without the Holy Spirit, the church is dead. Without the Holy Spirit, the Christian life is impossible. Do you have the Holy Spirit alive in you now? Or has the, fl- has the flame started to shrink? Do you need it to be reignited? Do you need the breath of the Spirit to breathe on your life again and build up the fire within so you can run this race? So you can live this life. Without the Holy Spirit, we are nothing. So on this Pentecost day, invite him again. Invite him to come in your life. Repent. And be baptised.
Amen. Father God, we come and stand before you now and we're going to come and worship again in a moment. But Lord, I just pray that as we do, you would come by your spirit. And for those of us who feel that we knew your spirit, we, we, we know that you've been with us and we can still see you with us, but the flame is, is shrank. The flame is dying down. Lord, would you come and would you breathe your breath of life again and make that flame into a furnace. Lord, as we come individually, would that flame just catch on each one of us? And would you set your church alight once again by the power of your spirit? Come, I pray.